Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I'm joined by Stefano Medino. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me. Thank you for inviting me in, into the show. Before we get started, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Stefano. I'm from Italy. I work for a company named Synesthesia in Torino, Italy. You may, for a few people that may know me, you may probably have seen me in Swift Heroes, which is an iOS event, a Swift event that we host from my company in Torino. And yeah, we are a software house. We develop work for third parties. And today I'm here to discuss about our, what I call agency work, even though we are not a classic agency, but it's the kind of work I'm more familiar with. So uh, unfortunately, you're a little bit under the weather. You got COVID, but I think we'll make it through. This yeah, isn't COVID yeah. of a few years ago. It's funny. I was just thinking like, I've spoken at Swift Heroes before and it was remote. Like was last year the first time it was in person? No, we it's it was the second time in second, person. Okay. But you were the first time we met was the online only in 2020, I guess. Where yeah, right. right. It was impossible oh to meet. <laughs> yeah. So again, you have COVID. We're run out. So we'll pull through this today. Um yeah. but yeah, I loved your talk on Murray, which we'll get into by the end. But before we get into that, you wanted to talk we talked briefly before recording just about like the work that Synesthesia does and we don't hear a lot in blogs or talks about the kind of work that Synesthesia does that I think, and I said this before, I think a majority of folks who are doing development are in this space and that, that would be kind of, you kind of call it like kind of agency work, but basically people hire Synesthesia to put together a website, an app, whatever, and you guys put it together. What do you think is the big difference between that kind of work and product work? Well, it's fun that you said you never read that much about our work. And the reason behind that is that usually we are not allowed to discuss Right. The, the, not the kind of work, but the kind of customers, because usually it's big projects that comes from third parties that have strict NDAs. So usually we are not able to discuss. And if we were, probably Synesthesia would have the chance to be even more known in the field because the project we work on are so big and incredible that it's hard to believe right. to me usually. But yeah, usually the, the kind of work we do Usually to compare it to work they do in product companies. So we have to repeat or start from scratch the same work many times, countless times. And the fun part about our work is that sometimes you start, let me say, on a sports app. We work on many sports app. And the next day, maybe you need to work on something related to, I don't know, agriculture, finance, or I don't know. I went through so many apps in the past years. I lost count of it. But the fun part of our job is that we get to, to work on many different scenarios and learn a different stuff that you may never think about. Currently, I'm working on an app about a sport I barely know existed, but also was able to find that it's one of the most important sports in the world. But yeah, it's stuff that, that happens in our work. But what I've tried to do as tech leader for the last 
12 years, uh, it was fun because when I started, uh, I'm still at my first job, actually, as I was telling you about uh, 10 minutes ago. When I started, I was the leader of myself because we were five or four people working on both Android, iOS and web and stuff in 2012. Today, we are more than 100 people between employees and consultants. So it was fun to see the company grow in my shoes and also to be able to contribute. And uh, to get to the point, what I really enjoy to do is to be able to start different projects from very different scenarios with the same architecture and the same approach in the in the iOS development. I mean, that's a big deal if you have more than one person maintaining the app and also are maintaining multiple projects. So like, yeah, I mean, consistency would be a big deal. Is there, what are some consistencies that you have found between different projects, regardless of like industry? Well, the team was made in some periods. I think we reached 18 people in the iOS team alone on many multiple projects because we have to scale, get consultants to help out in peak periods and then reduce the team, of course, when it's not needed anymore. But yeah, what I tried to do was to first focus on a pattern that was good enough for uh, for the app. And of course, not to change. I don't know. I didn't want to start with. I'm going to use a a word I forbid myself to use uh, because I hate it. Uh, I not start with Viper, one project, and then the next day, (laughs) another pattern. I hate Viper, but I never understand it. Uh, Sorry, (laughs) I shouldn't use the word hate, but... uh, Seriously, the Viper. Why? Anyway, I found myself working with MVVM back in the days where that saint man of Eshfaro put out some, I don't know if you know him, put out some very interesting tutorials about MVVM in Objective-C back in 2013, I guess it was. Okay. It was the first time I heard about it. Reactive Cocoa with MVVM. It was a very cool tutorial and a project, demo project. I took a lot from him in, in back in the days and been working on the same kind of architecture back then up until today where we switched over from Objective-C to Swift and from UIKit to Swift UI, etc. But the approach was always the same. Business logic in one place, model logic in another one, and then deal with the view. Regardless of the quality of Viper, is like you just you have to be consistent like across your team. And if you're gonna go with React, Reactive Objective C, then you still have to stick with it and like because the team's gonna have to manage multiple projects so it makes total sense do you do any like shared libraries across your applications yeah so we do we we start every project with a skeleton app and the reason why sorry let me finish the flow we have a skeleton app connected to a shared library that is called boomerang which is it's open source on github and it's a very basic library used to implement mvvm in for UIKit and reactive projects. Basically, okay. we wanted to avoid every time to write the logic to bind the UI collection view or UI table view to a view model and a list of view model. So we kind of implemented a shared logic that may abstract this context, this concept, sorry, and reuse it everywhere. Then on top of this library, which is open source, I, I think not many people are using that. Some project is using it, but not that many is using it. On top of that, we built a skeleton, which is a empty project full of utilities that you can change and you can tweak on every project you kick you kick start. 
This is why something, in my opinion, should stay in a shared library. You get updates and new features as you develop the library, but some other parts should go in some kind of boilerplate you can change in the project itself. You kickstart it and then you change it. Some small details. It's an approach you... that, that works. How do you maintain Boomerang if like something comes up when you're using it that like throws things off or causes issues? Usually, and I know that it's not uh, the best way of handling this, but uh, we have to survive somehow. At the end of a project or when we release the first version, we try to put an eye on the entire project and extract uh, all the features, the small details that may be skeletonized and put together in the original skeleton for the next project that, that's about to start. So the okay. older one, after the QA phase and after they are launched, they kind of stay on their own and they do not get updates because they are already working and it would be hard to keep everything in sync. Sometimes we it happened that we rewrote the architecture from scratch, keeping the same the same approach, but improving it. Like, I don't know, when we moved from Objective-C to Swift or right. in the last year when we moved from Mercado to Swift UI. But right, right. this is the approach that uh, I host sessions with the team uh, explaining what changed and what is going to change in the next project that's going to start. And we iterate over this concept. And every time the new, the new app is better than the one before because we learned from the process and we improve it from the new one, for the new one. Right, right. What are, what are some of the most strange or peculiar projects that you've worked on, both subject matter-wise, that you can disclose, of course, and development-wise? Well, let me, development-wise, there's a small app, but it's peculiar for my city and for the approach we, we used. So you've been in Torino, right? We have a very important monument in the city. It's called the Mole Antonelliana, which is a, some kind of a big tower with a cupola. I don't know in English how you say that it's the coverage made of a, like, like a cone on, at the top. It's very tall. Okay. It's the most important monument in the city. So this top part of the monument has four sides. And at night in summer, since inside the monument, we have the Cinema Museum, which is very important in Italy. Okay. They do projection of short films and stuff from indie movie makers, stuff like that for the festivals mm -hmm. we have in summers. So the Cinema Museum asked us to create some kind of a mechanism to synchronize the music of these huge projections visible all around the city so that with your mobile app, you could have in your phones the audio in every part oh, of the gotcha. city, more or less synced with what you were, were seeing in, in the monument. And the fun part about it is that we only have, I think, about 12 to 15 days to implement it in both iOS and Android. Okay. And when we did the estimation and the, the economics and stuff to the customer, we forgot about the server part. We <laughs> forgot to include it. Because it happens when you are in a hurry. I'm not pretending we are perfect, right? So sometimes yeah, it happens. Yeah. So yes. I stepped it ha in. It, yeah, it, it happens. happens all the time. Yes. So That's why just... they invented multipliers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what I did was to step in. Since I'm a very huge fan of the Firebase work, I created myself. I know a little of JavaScript, not that much. And not that I'm proud of, but still you have to survive in the <laughs> computer science world. Just kidding, of course. So I created some kind of mini web server with APIs in less than a day with the Firebase Cloud Function and the remote database, etc. 
and we were able to the projection the company in charge of projecting the videos had the chance to webhook their start and the end of the video to an external server so i was able to, to create it in in that amount of time wow. and the application was used and was working actually the synchronization was accurate up to i think 200 milliseconds because there's some delay involved yeah, in the wow. communication yeah wow that's really and, good yeah, it was nice. It was it was fun. Not the huge, the biggest project I worked on, but since I was born in the city, I'm really tied Excited to the city it. emotionally. So it was nice to see this work. Yeah, in place. That's interesting. So, when do you like? How do you decide things like? Oh, we're going to like say screw it. Let's just do Flutter or React Native. Do you ever get in those situations? Oh yeah. I mean, obviously, you have like React Native. Heroes? Do you have and also Flutter heroes? We have both, yeah. we have all the heroes. We and we have DroidCon for Android because we are we have the license for the name. So okay. otherwise, it will probably here be Android heroes. Android I don't heroes. know, but yeah. yeah. We also have AI heroes just from past week. Uh, first, yes, I saw that. For, I mean, we we hero everything. The question was to Flutter and React Native. Yes, we have a team, two teams, smaller than the native ones dedicated to such apps and we had big su- success for especially for react native because it's it's been there for a longer time in, in mm-hmm. big right. applications usually we it's a combi- when we decide to go on a technology or another it's a combination of budget of course if the customer uh, usually there may be scenarios where a customer cannot afford a double or yeah. A double development phase, but also it's a better. I mean, if the application is going to be lots of native integrations, like I don't know, lots of background processing, Bluetooth, or whatever, it, or you have to implement I don't know widgets uh, or watch app connected to the main app uh, or whatever, it's usually better to go with the native approach. If it's just list detail, a quick app. Uh, we usually suggest to go with the native approach because it's more effective with the customer. I prefer to go always native, but I have to be realistic and to be, I mean, keep my feet on the ground. And sometimes nobody, not everyone can afford to go with a double double space. Yeah. Usually the multiplier for us, it's multiply by two, the development phase of the estimate for the native one and 1.3 for the hybrid solution, more or less. Yeah. If that makes sense. And I mean, we can, as Swift native developers, we can go on and on about the benefits of developing in Swift, but sometimes those benefits aren't worth it to a client. So yeah. Yeah. I'm we like working also... on a project right now where it's React Native and they're adding a watch app and like I'm learning all the intricacies of trying to integrate a watch app into a React Native app. And I can confirm I like doing native swift development but yeah it's interesting trying to do that have you ever gotten into a situation where you picked up a react or flutter app project and had to update it and had to integrate native features we did i didn't do that myself in first person but i helped out and it's not always the most straightforward process we also tried to to integrate react native in a in the opposite way, but was more of a mess. It's something that technically say. you could do because you need to integrate the framework. And then the advantage of React Native against Flutter is that they are still native view. They are RCT views, I think it's called, the components. Mm-hmm. So 
technically, just for fun one time, I've integrated multiple RCT views in a native UI collection view just to prove that you can mix the two of them. You right, can have right. a complete native view. And then at some point, like Facebook was doing back in the days, I don't know if they are still doing it. The feed was React Native and the other pages were more of a native. Uh, okay, like, okay. Like, I didn't know that. Like that. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised it came out of Facebook, but I didn't know that's how they yeah. did it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your workflow. So we talked a little bit about your skeleton. I, should we get into the skeleton? I feel like we're already hinting at it. Or should we start off talking about the other tools you use? Let's hold off on that because I don't want to spoil it. But okay. what other tools do you use? Because you got here Twist and Xcogen, which I'm a big fan of. Sorcery. Well, let's table that. And then Fastlane, which I'm a big fan of. I just released Bushel and I used Xcogen and Fastlane like crazy among other things. Yeah, you want to explain how those tools help integrate with your teams and your projects? Yeah. So let's start by Twist or Xcode Gen. One, one thing that I honestly don't know how people can deal with, probably later they are using uh, directly as SPM, but conflicts in Git with my team were a huge problem in the past years. Uh, especially yes. on a file that for any other kind of developer in the world doesn't exist, which is the Xcode project file, Yeah. right? So yeah. if you open X, Android it's the Studio... Last, or, it's the last yeah. vestige of like horrible Git merge issues. We've gotten rid of storyboards, thank yeah, God. Definitely. We've gotten rid of... To this year, we got rid of core data models, thank God. So now <laughs> we have... like The last thing is Xcode projects, yeah. right? And honestly, since every time I, I hear about people not using some kind of tool helping out the process mm -hmm. itself, I honestly don't know how can can they can <laughs> deal with it. Because once I started the first time with Xcode Gen, because back in the days I only knew Xcode Gen, I couldn't go back ever. Because it's yeah. just a YAML file that you put inside all the definition of your project. You create a command in, in the terminal and then it builds your project. You don't commit yes. ever again your project in source code and it's fine. I probably developed lots of lots of projects, also modularizing them in different sub-frameworks. Mm -hmm. Or the other side, having a white-label project, meaning that it's a, a monolithic project, but yeah. with many different colors and brandings for different for different companies. Yeah, that's so brands. perfect for Twist or Xcode Gen. Exactly. Do you use both, or do you use? I use. I started with Xcode Gen with the YAML file. Then two years ago at Swift Heroes, I was talking with one of the speakers, Firas Safa, which is I don't know, probably you met in uh, in, in the last one. I told him, ah, you have a talk about Twist. I've heard about it, but I prefer Xcode Gen. He's a very rough guy when you talk with him and told me, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> Use Twist. So, of course, uh, yeah, it's kind of, I, I, the first time I approached Twist, it was not that easy to understand because if you start from scratch, they force you to use their structure. And I didn't like it. After talking with, with this guy, I went back to it and tried to apply it to my structure. And being able to use Swift files instead of YAML files and to code my, pro right. my project structure was such an improvement that I never went back to Xcode Gen. Also because Xcode Gen is maintained by a single person. It's a very super cool guy, but is alone. While yeah, Yannis, yeah. is made of a community. And this is looking forward, both of a super pro, also 
a con because sometimes you may not agree with what the community is deciding for the project itself. They are privatizing some of the features of Twist later on, and uh, it, it, this could become a, an issue for you if you're using it as a, an open source project, but it's a total other topic to discuss. <laughs> um, right, right. I mean, those private pro- pieces are like for posting reasons and cloud and things like that. So it makes total sense. Yeah. I'm like, I use Xcogen. I've talked to, I've praised about Xcogen on and on, on this show. And we've, I'm probably getting closer and closer to maybe going with two soon. I find that Xcogen does pretty much everything I needed to do. It's when you have to like really customize the way that libraries are compiled and things like that. And already have a ton of Swift files anyway. So it's like, why not just go with Swift? So one that's thing I was, we have, uh, we have, we did an episode with Pedro a few months ago. Yeah. So yeah, definitely check that out. But the stuff he's doing is amazing with Twist. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible. And also just, I don't want to be misunderstood. I know why they are going private on some parts for the cloud. I follow the whole situation and I think it's uh, super good that they are trying to survive basically. So I, I totally understand that. One thing I wasn't able to do with, with Xcode Gen besides the syntax and besides the fact that they are using YAML instead of code, an actual code is that I was able to have a single source of truth for both my projects and Fastlane. Because moving to the fast lane subject, uh, having many different environments for the app, uh, usually for us, usually you go with the dev on your own developer portal when mm-hmm. the production environment goes to the customer's one. Being able to drive all this logic uh, from both the app and fast lane wasn't that easy because you have to duplicate the team ID or the bundle identifiers in many places. Okay. Usually. What I did was to use the templating engine of source of sorry of twist to create a json file that it's you that it's driven with logic from from the swift files so i have a configuration file in swift with all the data for my project it's creating mm-hmm. my project but it's also creating a json file that it's used by fastlane to create the actual final pipeline so ah, in this way i'm nice. only placing the logic of my global environment in a single source of truth. Yeah. And this is useful for replicating also the logic for the pipelines for the continuous integration and delivery from in my skeleton. So in the single uh, starting point without dealing with pipelines every time, rewriting that from from scratch. So I have a single fast lane uh, file. It's working okay for all my projects and that's it. What do you use for CI, by the way? Well, mostly everything. I try to our. How can I say? We work for sometimes for directly for with our choices, meaning that the cust- the final okay. customer is directly on us. So we have in house two or three Mac Minis. They are more cheaper. It's more cheaper to buy a Mac Mini and host it in house rather than have it in the cloud. We have a. Oh, gen- that's what I do. <laughs> that's why yeah. I, I bought a Mac Mini. They like, are so cheap so- and so powerful. Yeah. So it's it's easy. Right. So we ask them in-house. We have a Jenkins hypervisor to sync between them, also because they are shared between Android, React Native, and Flutter, which is okay. it would be harder to maintain on external platform for CI. Yep. And then we also have agents. Agents from we use Azure DevOps. I know that in our community, saying the word Microsoft is usually not the best thing to do. But Azure DevOps, Not as bad as it used to be. It's, it's really amazing compared to the cost it has per seat. 
So if you were to put together a Git, whatever it is, a wiki, a Jira or whatever you may want to use for tasks and stuff like that all together mm-hmm. and pay for that, it will be less more, way more expensive compared to what you can do in, in Azure DevOps, which has everything in one place. It's really powerful. And I encourage everybody to at least try that. Then be able to say, okay, I don't like it, but it's something that shouldn't be underestimated in my opinion. It has pipelines, but you can install mm. agents for that. Usually we we configure the Azure pipelines. It goes to Jenkins and then goes to the nodes uh, for the Mac Mini for the builds. When we don't have access to our Jenkins, we just replicate the same logic on the agents of our third-party customer whenever it's needed. So we try to, I have a make file in the, in my in every project that has two mm-hmm. or three commands. I only need to launch them for what from whatever pipeline I have in all yeah, the projects. That's so nice. Yeah. And that's the approach I usually do. Yeah, I mean that's the problem with Xcode Cloud is like everything is so tightly integrated. If you can move it to a script and then you could run it anywhere, that's like the way to go. And then with the big complaint I've had with Azure DevOps and with the whole Microsoft CI system, and I say that because I'm including GitHub is the problem that they never update their Mac OS version. But it sounds like you're running this all on your machines. Yes. So you don't have that issue, right? No, you basically on DevOps, it works like this. You can decide if the machines are going to be hosted by Microsoft in, in their cloud, yep. in the Azure cloud, or you can have the self-hosted agents and you can have whatever that's what you The only problem with that is that they make they are making you pay for concurrency of pipelines at the same time. <laughs> so you have to pay $10 extra just to have a concurrent job working okay. at the same time. For okay. now, we are paying, I think, three or four jobs. It's not a big deal. We have more than 100 projects in our Azure yeah. DevOps because we also yeah. have webs and stuff. Web, But it's way less expensive than having everybody on Jira, on GitHub, paid GitHub, and, and so on. It's $8 per month per seat. And you get yeah. task, you get Git, you get Wiki, you get whatever. So. Yeah, I've worked with a client that used Azure. So yeah, we geeked about it in Turin. So I remember <laughs> being like, oh yeah, Xcogen, Tuist, Azure, like all good stuff. So yeah, I'm quite familiar with that. That What is it called? Stack. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we talked about skeletons. So let's get into it. We geeked out about your talk in a tool that I've been using quite a bit, and it's open source and available on GitHub, uh, the uh, humorously titled Murray. First of all, explain the Murray reference, because there's very few people who played Sierra games in the 90s who probably yeah, know this. I mean, I, I, mean in, in, I think it was 97, I was 12 year old back in the days, and they gifted me the Curse of Monkey Island, the third one, the third chapter okay. for Christmas uh, on my very, very old PC back in 97. So you can imagine how PCs were, probably 98, <laughs> I don't remember, it's the same, not a big deal. So there was this little annoying skull called Murray, and I decided to name the tool after him because I used this tool to create Skeleton and to coordinate Skeleton and by adding a small piece of, of stuff. I'm going to explain this in a moment. So when it came to my, when I was thinking about giving the Skeleton a brain, like I had to, to coordinate, I could either call the tool Skull, but felt like a little bit too much Halloween or stuff like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> then I remember about this. Uh, what is the first skull, talking skull I can imagine? And I remember Murray. I try to, yeah, it's, it's short. So it's nice to write it down in, in the terminal. Probably there wasn't any other tool, command line tool name like right. that. So I didn't risk right. any collision. And if LucasArts, actually Disney, won't sue me for copyright infringements, then I think we can go to, with that. No, of course, just kidding. Um, so, yeah, we went for this tool because I tried to, to use Xcode template. Every other uh, web tool has scaffolding features, meaning that you need to add a mm -hmm. controller or a model or whatever to your view or to your, sorry, to your code. I mean to me, like the classic one is Ruby on Rails. Like when I saw how Ruby on Rails worked, I was like, okay, yeah, this is awesome. Like that to me is the prototype scaffolding setup. Exactly. I'm, I've worked on Ruby on Rails back in the days a little bit. Okay. And this is exactly where the Mari idea comes from Ruby yeah. on Rails. They have this generator tool where you can, since they, they went with an approach called convention over configuration, Yep. It's which was their approach. It was common to have small boilerplates, small pieces of codes that went to in, in the appropriate places of the yep. of the code. So when I searched for something similar in Xcode, I found out Xcode templates, which is a native feature available in Xcode that probably even Apple forget about forgot about in the later days. Yeah, later exactly. Years. They're cool, they're integrated, but it's a super mess to configure them. You yes. have to go through plist, like everything in Apple uh, ecosystem. They yep. have a plist for everything. And um, I don't even know how you would install an Xcode template. Like, yeah, I had a script to download it. Yeah, they, you yeah. just have to copy that in a hidden folder in the library. Yeah, home hidden folder. folder, that right there is like, that's, you're already going to, that's 80% of people aren't going to know what to do or how to get to the library folder or whatever it is. Yeah. Exactly. That's a huge red flag in my opinion. So I'm not saying that Mari is the easiest solution to this problem because I know for sure that it's quite hard to understand how to start working with it. But at least you get a terminal. You should always have a terminal open when you're developing apps, in my opinion. Again, I'm not endorsed by Microsoft, but I found myself really happy using Visual Studio Code because you have the okay. file structure, also the files that are not included in, in Nextcode. You can, how can I say, explore them and select them. Yeah. And at the same time, having a terminal already in the proper folder where you can launch commands. So I'm, I'm oh, using yeah, that's that all true. the yeah. time. It, it's, yeah, it's I have it open right now. So trust yeah. me, I use Visual Studio Code all the time. And yeah. um, I mean, I'm, it's got really good Swift integration now. So thanks to the server dev team. So yeah, I, lo I love Murray. So the problem I ran into is, so the way I scaffold my app is I'll do, I'll do Xcogen. So I'll have a project.yaml file mm -hmm. and then I'll have one one Swift file in my project and then everything else is in Swift packages. And the problem I ran into was I was constantly like the way I was doing it was I was like copying a file and doing it that way. I don't know if you've ever tried creating a new file in a Swift package in Xcode, but it sucks. It like it's a mess. So yeah. I was looking for a way to just constantly do like easily create a file. It'll know exactly where to put the file. It'll have a template and like, that was it. Like Murray was ideal for, it was like exactly what I wanted. And it's great. Cause I can just go right into Xcode and create a new Swift file. And it's automatically added to the package and to the application. So yeah, that's what I loved about it. 
Yeah, it also integrates nicely with with Excogen or or Twist because I it has the the power of launching commands before or after creating your file. So what I usually do That's right. yeah. is to you, to create uh, multiple file and the end of the procedure just launch for me Excogen. it's make project but or Excogen generate or Twist generate yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, you automatically yeah. see that appearing in your project in a matter of a few moments. I use it a lot with Twist for creating new sub-projects. I don't use Swift package for in my repository for sub-features of, of my app. I use sub-projects okay. because yeah. I don't know why, but it worked. <laughs> it was you know, my original approach. And I've scaffolded entire folders with Murray with lots of boilerplates like the already created the folder for the components, the one for the view controllers, uh, the one for the repositories, the use cases, the data sources, etc. And the module configuration itself where the dependency injection happens. And I simply run Mare, create a new module, and I I launch it and I have it uh, already in Xcode. Nice. So it's, yeah. it's really powerful. Of course, uh, it took me a while uh, to to create all the scaffolds. And I think it's the biggest issue at the moment with, uh, with Mare. In my opinion, it's hard to you... get to a productive point. It's the same issue that Twist have, that Xcode Jane have. So you yeah. are also sourcing. I mean, have you looked at creating like a, well, you have a Murray init, don't you? Yes, You're you not... can You yeah. you can have it. It's going to create the first file, but it's made of concepts. So you have to first study those concepts. And this is probably a too steep learning curve for most of people. So you have to really understand what Murray is about and what are the benefits that you can take out of it before starting using it. And in my opinion, yeah. probably I'm not good enough to explain that this to people. What I'm planning yeah. to do for next year is to create something similar to what Shistovsky did for Sorcery, which is the Sorcery Pro, which is the an editor where you can create everything for Murray and also oh, see yeah, a preview yeah, yeah. of what you're doing. So Mari, in, at a lower level, is made of a, a command line interface, small module, and then something called Mari Kit, which is the actual core of it, the 95% right, right. of the code. So yeah. I designed this. I designed it like this because I want to be able to pick this Mari Kit and put it into a macOS application yeah. with graphical user. Sense. Yeah. So it's yep. as soon as I have time for it, I'm going to. I would also love to make this open source as well with our skeleton, maybe. So our skeleton is what I didn't say. It's an app that it's already out of the box available for the four platforms. There should okay. be five now, but I let's pretend Vision OS doesn't exist yet because <laughs> I'm a little behind schedule with it. But it's made using Twist, thanks to Twist, in a way that every submodule can be created and integrated for only macOS, only iOS, uh, tvOS, and watchOS, or only a sub a subset of them. So. I'm planning to release it as soon as I have time, which is not not something that's going to happen soon, but it's something I want to do, definitely. And I'll link to your talk you did at Swift Heroes where you introduced Murray as well, so people might get a good idea from that as well. You mentioned briefly, was there anything else you wanted to mention about Murray? No, besides that, it's every everything that if anybody has something to say about about Murray, please reach out because I would really love to improve it. It's, I think it's useful. It's saving us a lot of time. I think it could deserve a little bit more of, what can I say, 
being most, more famous. I don't know how to say it in, in English, but <laughs> I really suck at being this public and sponsor it every, everywhere. But usually right. I use Swift Heroes to talk about it. By the way, we are hosting a new event in April, 18 and 19 April of 2024. So reach out to me if you want to participate to the new Swift Heroes in Torino next year. Yeah, cool. yeah, it's awesome. And I love Turin. So I'm a huge, I loved it. It was amazing city. So yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. When are CFPs due? I think they are already open. I don't know when they're closed, but okay. it's going to be plenty of time. Usually, I think it's going to be end of January or February. I don't know, honestly, <laughs> I, but I, there's time. Don't worry. Yeah, definitely take an opportunity. Fantastic conference. So yeah. So we have food. So <laughs> yeah, I could say that again. I wanted to, you talked about, so what's the templating engine you use in Murray? Yeah, we're using Stencil because apparently it's the only, it's the most used templating engine available. Recently, I also integrated the support for, uh, I think it's called Swift Stencil Kit. There are some kind of extensions to the base Stencil language. But it's, yeah, it's that engine. It's fine for what is the normal usage of, of Mari. It's the same used by Sorcery. Uh, although with Sorcery, if uh, anybody has ever used it, uh, uh, since it's more of a coding uh, approach, rather, it's a template, but you need to code a lot. So uh, when you write a, a Sorcery template, you usually end up uh, writing up micros um, and... Uh, yeah functions in stencil that are not so easy to use but for Murray it's it's more than enough because you don't need that much logic in your templates you just need to have 90% swift and a 10% variables that needs to be scaffolded when you launch the command right. what have you done a lot with sorcery in your I, i've done i've done a bunch of things basically for mocking automatically some kind of implementation of protocols i'm using with dependency injection for like we testing a, yeah for unit testing when we do that okay uh we don't usually we don't always do unit testing in our project because sometimes there's no budget for it so we yeah. we became good you can say to... that it's okay to be public about that no i <laughs> i actually i'm i'm proud of it because we became good not doing common mistakes and yeah. we we empowered our skeleton so that it's robust enough it's solid enough to not have the usual so the skeleton has the unit tests yeah, and every time you create with Murray a new feature, a new view controller, a new view model, whatever, it comes with a template of an empty unit test. You can decide, and always the pipelines are running unit tests, even if they are empty. Right, right. You can decide right. for very critical part of the application if you want to add unit tests or not. That's the best and thing I, assume, I could came up with. What was the name? Boomerang, I assume, has unit yeah. tests too. So it's like... Yeah, it has some unit tests, but well, the thing with Boomerang is that now that we are moving to Swift UI, and there's not that much need of using it anymore. Uh, we okay. have stuffed Boomerang with a dependency container, not to be a, to avoid including every time Swinject or DIP or other external libraries for doing dependency container and dependency injection, which we use. So it's inside mm -hmm. Boomerang in a single file. And a bunch of other properties like the definition of the protocol view model or something like that. But besides that, all the extensions we used back in the days with RxWift, now we move to Combine. Or 
the extension for table views and collection views are not needed anymore because okay. SwiftUI has a data binding at its core natively. So we don't need this escamotage for binding the view model to the collection view. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. So yeah, you could use uh, unit testing, but probably, I mean, we are, I'm not saying that we are dropping the library itself, but we're using even way less than before. So yeah, if you're going all SwiftUI and combine, it makes sense. I'll ask, even though you might not know, uh, have you done anything with macros? Not yet. Um, okay. I, I'm planning to do something with macros, but at the moment I'm I'm way behind with it. I'm not I'm not familiar with it. I know what they are, yeah, but same here. Uh, didn't have the chance so far. Are you seeing anything about it that's like opens up opportunities for more code generation? I suppose. And like, how restricted are you on like, de- like what OS you're deploying to? You know what I mean. Oh, that's yeah. I'm fighting to have at least iOS 15 on new projects. Okay. Uh, on the one I'm currently working on, they gave us a green light, so we are working on iOS 15. Otherwise, our standard in our uh, offers uh, when when we are proposing new apps to new customers, it's 14. But uh, okay. uh, at least we don't have to. Well, we don't have to deal with 12 anymore. And also with yeah. 13, it's, I guess, it's not a big deal. What do, so, where do you feel like your hands are really tied in those cases? Well, on 13, we don't have the, basically, it's, you cannot use SwiftUI. Yeah, yes, say it's supported, but don't, you don't have grids. Uh, it's full of bugs, so not a big deal. On S15, you, compared to the 14, you have something more for scroll views, and you have markdown support and something more, something like that. So I don't remember exactly why I was fighting to have 15. There was a specific thing that I don't remember. 14 is a big thing, though. Like you said, like SwiftUI is basically unusable on 13. And I've totally yeah. seen that as well. The only part where I found usable on 13 was for for watchOS. Because for watchOS applications, it was ready <laughs> from day one. But you need yeah. to do... Actually, it was... You could do more things with UI compared to the old WatchKit, watch which was a yeah. really awful experience in my opinion. Yes. So yeah. I only Agreed. did We've two all... apps, uh, one with WatchKit and one with UI, and there's no match between the two of them. I mean, yeah. it's... We can all commiserate about doing development with WatchKit. I think we should have a drinking You are forced it's... to use storyboards, but you don't have the concept of view. So you can add yeah. or remove subviews. You need to have everything in the storyboard. I mean... Yeah. It's weird. Like the way you did tables and it's just, it was so strange. So strange. Anything else you want to talk about before we close out? Well, I think I talked enough like, like <laughs> I usually do. You have to shoot me to make me stop. But uh, yeah, no, I think I've covered mostly everything. So if anybody has any questions about Murray, you can find me on Twitter. And I'm really glad uh, for being here and thank you so much for hosting me. Thank you for coming on, Stefano. It was great to finally talk about these subjects. I know we geeked out last time. So yeah, and I'm a big fan of Murray. So that's been super helpful to me. Thank you again. And maybe I'll see you. Maybe I'll see you in person. Whenever you want. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And take a time to check out. We'll have links to Swift Heroes and the CFP. So please take some time, buy some tickets, fill out a CFP. It'd be fantastic. It's a great conference. Can't say anything better. And Turin's beautiful. So so yeah, it's fantastic. People can find, where can people find you online? First of all, 
Well, I'm on Twitter, on GitHub. On GitHub, I'm Stefano Mondino. On Twitter, I have my old old school nickname, which is Punto Ste. Uh, which, uh, yeah, I will never get rid of it. But anyway, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> and, cool. And people can find me on Twitter at LeoGTion. My company is Bright Digit. If you're a fan of this podcast, please consider being a member of the Patreon to get early access to these episodes. I post them pretty much right away. So definitely check that out. I can't plug this enough, but Bushel, I'll be doing a whole episode on Bushel. So take some time, respond to me on Twitter about what questions you have about the development process. Bushel is available for pre-order, so you can go check that out, getbushel.app. And I'll be talking about how I did some stuff like using Xcode Gen and Murray and all that fun stuff in Fastlane. So I'll have more details to spill on that in that episode coming up. Again, check out getbushel.app for more details. If you like this, please, if you're watching this on YouTube, like and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast player, please go ahead and post a review. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to everybody later. Bye, everyone.